Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Today we're going to continue in our series called The Search for Happiness. And all of us want to be happy, right? Whether it's something small or something great, we all want to be happy. There's no one in this room that would say, I don't want to be happy and I want to live a miserable life. If that is you, I'm glad that you're here, okay? Because we got to have a talk. We're going to continue in this series um, and we're going to continue in Matthew 5. What I want to share with you um, to begin with is going to be this quote that will be on the screen in just a second. When we go through the Beatitudes, we say, the Bible says, blessed are the blank, for they shall blank. And as we go through this, Jesus lays out this idea of what is happiness, right? And the best way that we can translate the word blessed into English is through the Greek that's called makarios that will give you the word for happy. And this idea of happiness is something we're all searching for. Some of us will find happiness in people. Some of us will have, find happiness in achievements or money or things. Those are some of the things that Tim talked about over the last few weeks, we all want to be happy. And for a long time in my own life, I thought by searching for happiness, I was going to find it in all of my achievements. That I was going to find it after I got a degree. I was going to find it. I'm halfway to degree and I'm not happier than before. I'm more stressed out than I was when I started. It was a way easier when I was just in high school and graduated. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is awesome. And now it seems like my search for happiness is different because I'm looking in the wrong things. And I would suggest that we all are at some point. There's an article by Psychology Today. It's going to be on the screen. It says, more than simply a positive mood, happiness is a state of well-being that encompasses living a good life, one with a sense of meaning and deep contentment. I would suggest that when we are searching for happiness, we're looking for meaning and deep contentment. We're not looking to be empty at the end of whatever it is we're looking for. If it's somebody, we want them to fulfill that, that which we're looking for. And we want to find meaning in the things that we're doing, especially if it's an achievement, if it's a job or it's something that we're striving for. That when you get a degree or you get promoted from a job or you get a job, you're looking for a sense of meaning. And some of us will strive to be happy and find it in those things that never end up filling us the way that we want. And we're looking for a deep contentment. We're looking for something that goes beyond surface level. And when Jesus says, here's how you can be happy, it's opposite of what we would think and what we would consider to be happy. Jesus will flip everything we think about happiness on its head and say, here's what it is. If you're a Christ follower, it means a lot more to you than if you're not. And if you're not, then you should be looking and saying, you know what, I do want this kind of happiness. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible or have a Bible app, go ahead and turn there. We're just going to look at the first verse. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful. When we look at this, he says, Happy are the merciful. But what does merciful mean? Because in our context and in the way we see it, we're seeing mercy as they did something and I'm going to punish them. But instead of giving them the punishment they deserve, I'm going to withhold it. What Jesus is saying, Blessed are the merciful, he's saying, Blessed are those who share and show compassion with other people. He would say, blessed or though, happy are those who have an others-oriented type of mind. 
that you think about yourself less than you think about other people. That they are the object of what you're showing compassion to because you were an object of mercy yourself through the love and grace of God. Now, merciful, is a, here's the best definition by a scholar way smarter than me. Here's what it says. It'll be on the screen. Merciful embraces the characteristics of being generous, forgiving others, having compassion for the suffering, and providing healing of every kind. When we think of merciful, when we think about making us happy, we don't think about being generous. I was like, man, being generous is a lot harder than we, if I say it, it's like, okay, be generous. But now to do it is a lot harder. Do I really want to be generous to this person who hurt me? Do I really want to show forgiveness to this person who doesn't deserve forgiveness? But doesn't God do the same thing for us? One of God's fundamental characteristics is being merciful towards us because we don't deserve grace. We don't deserve the forgiveness he offers. We don't deserve any of the blessings that God gives us, yet he gives us to us because he's merciful towards us. Because he shows great compassion and love for us. He's generous with the blessings. He forgives us. He's compassionate in our suffering. If you've never suffered, I'm sure that there's going to be a moment in time where you'll find some kind of suffering within your life or some circumstance, and you're going to look for some mercy from God and say, God, where is it? Because I need it. Jesus says, happy are the generous. Happy are those who forgive, who have compassion for the suffering. How many of you have ever think that in your mind, you would say, you know what, I, I need to be happy. I'm going to go be generous. Not very many of us will think that's going to be the first thing that we go to. It's not going to be our go-to to be forgiving towards somebody, especially if they hurt you. Everybody in here has been hurt by someone or something or some circumstance, and your first response isn't to be merciful. It's to get back at them. It's to get back at this situation. And that causes the opposite of happy. But we do it, and we think that we're going to get somewhere by it. Now, when Jesus continues to tell us all this, he tells us to have compassion towards others. Here's one way that Rick Warren put in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Here's what he says. When you open his book and you go to day one, he says, it's not about you. And some of you are like, man, I would rather have Tim talk because Alex is being depressing. But here's what he says. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. When we look at the Beatitudes, we look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus starts to preach. He preaches it probably more than one time. The people are listening, and Jesus kind of outlines the way that his kingdom is, right? Here's, if you're a Christ follower, here's kind of what we're supposed to live by. It's kind of like every year, there is a, a parliament speech by the Queen of England, and there's this big royal, like, event. And she goes, and she sits down at this massive throne, and everybody's listening, and she lays out the plan for her parliament and her government. It's called the program. She sets it out. It says, for my reign as Queen of England, here's, here's what we're going to strive for. And Jesus says the same thing. He's not the Queen of England, but he says, Here's what we're going for. Jesus says, when you give mercy, it's not about you. And for a lot of us, we would say that that is a mean and ugly comment because we think all about me. What can I do to be happy? 
How dare you say that it's not about my peace of mind or my personal fulfillment or my happiness or my family or my career, but in that whole thought, all you're thinking about is yourself. Now, it can bring you some level of happiness, but it's not going to bring you something that's going to last forever. It's going to dry out pretty quick. So Rick Warren says, it's not about you, even your happiness. But where do we find it? He says, begin with God. And that's going to be the goal that we strive for. Now, here's a short and small disclaimer. For some of you in the room, you will say, all right, I can do that. I can be generous. I can give my all. I can pour myself out to others. But here's the problem with you in the room, if that's you. When you start to give to somebody, you give 110% and you find yourself empty and barren and struggling to get through the rest of the week, month, day, whatever it is. Jesus still wants you to take care of yourself, right? Jesus set the example, and as much time as he spent with people and his disciples, he still took time to get away and spend time with God. So as much as it is about when it's about being a Christian and you have to be with other people and serve and be generous and be compassionate, still take care of yourself, right? Because some of you are going to go out there and be like, yeah, I'm all in, and then burn out. So be careful and mindful of those things just so you're like, well, Alex told me to do all this, and now I'm here. Well, it's not really my fault, is it? Maybe. Someone was like, yes. So here's a good example. Jesus is going to go through, right, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to tell us what we're supposed to be like. And for some of us, we think, okay, well, I'm supposed to have compassion and mercy. But what does that look like? Because for a lot of us, it looks like one thing. And for another group of people, it looks like something else. For me, being generous is buying Chick-fil-A cookies and throwing out in the crowd, right? For some of us, right, if you've ever worked in food service, and it's funny that Working at Chick-fil-A is a lot of fun. It's also very, very difficult, right? Josiah is shaking his head. Levi knows what I'm talking about. Connor, if you serve in any, even at any level, right, and so, well, you have to deal with the public, it's hard to be compassionate towards people. And the last thing you want to show mercy to is Karen, who came through your drive-thru, right? But our job is to show compassion to those people. And the reason is, is because when we look at the world as a whole, there's not anybody showing mercy. And when people look at Christians, their job is to show mercy, and if you as a Christ follower are not showing mercy to the world, then what they're going to look like, what they're going to see is a Jesus who doesn't show them that either. And instead of following the Jesus you said is merciful and you're not merciful, well, they're not going to follow because they're not in. So here's a good example of what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives this story of a man who's going through these mountains and he gets attacked by a robber. Now, this is a very familiar story to a lot of you. Um, if you've grown up in church or whatever the case is, you know of the Good Samaritan, this parable and the story that Jesus shares. There's a lawyer who says, hey, what, what's my, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, what's that one thing that I have to do? And Jesus starts to give this response. He says, what is written in the law? Have you not read it? So Jesus is like kind of testing him, giving him this response, but it's not good enough. So Jesus begins to give him the real response. In chapter 10 of Luke chapter 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This place that this man is going through is one of the most dangerous places that you would, you would go through. And the idea is that you don't go by yourself through this area because it's that dangerous. With massive mountains and boulders, and things that you're trying to, to navigate through, people would hide behind them, rob you, and then leave you. 
So this was not a place you really wanted to go through by yourself. It was very dangerous. As you can tell, he was stripped, beat, and left half dead. But the response to the people that come after are what's going to matter the most. Here's the next verse. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now you might think, why is that important? To the context of our, of our passage, and in Jesus' first century setting, the priest and the Levite are religious leaders that have this obligation to serve and have compassion towards these people. But instead of having compassion, they just pass by on the other side. Maybe because they didn't want to get religiously unclean. Maybe they, if they did, and he was actually dead, I can't answer the temple. Whatever the case was, they decided not even to, to, to pay any attention to him. For some of us, when we think about our context in our lives, we're the man beaten, stripped, and half dead. And we're struggling and suffering on the side. And people who say that they're religious and Christians are just passing you by the side. Or some of you are the Christians that are just passing people on the other side. I'm just as guilty of it when I see someone who is suffering. And instead of having mercy on them, having compassion, and another way to translate it would be pity, to have some kind of pity or compassion on them, I pass by on the other side because it doesn't matter. They'll figure it out. They got it. They got themselves there. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's, who's thought that. So Jesus says, here's what happens. There's a priest, there's a Levite, they pass by on the other side. So what's the response? In the next verse is what Jesus says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on them. To the Jewish people of this time, the heroes were going to be another Jew. It was going to be a religious leader. They were going to be the hero. And when Jesus said that it was a Samaritan, they probably like threw up in their mouth a little bit. Because in their world, the Samaritans were half-breeds who intermarried with other Jewish, Jews who married with other people. And instead of being 100% bought in and devoted to the Jewish faith, they, they were half-breeds. This thought of them being less than people is a thought that was racist to the first century. The Samaritan was the one who had compassion on him. The unlikely character is the one that had compassion, that had mercy. And some of us know that that can be us. That as Christians, your job, if you say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, that's your job, to be that Samaritan and have compassion on the people that you see that are struggling. And when we look at our context today, there's not a lack and shortage of people suffering. Is there a shortage of Chick-fil-A sauce and sauce of Chick-fil-A? Absolutely. Is there a shortage of people who are suffering? No. I was told the other day that Whataburger has a sauce shortage. It's like, just ketchup. It's just ketchup. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Samaritans were not looked at as the good guy. But Jesus makes them the good guy had compassion. So what do you need to do? Let's go to the next slide. And he went and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of them, and, whoever, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So what does he do? On the next, on the next slide, it's going to just break it down. On the next slide, it's going to break it down. 
In Luke 10, 33-35, it said he had compassion, he bound up his wounds, he carried him, and he spent whatever it took to ensure his well-being. This man went above and beyond. This Samaritan man, who is the least likely character, who's really the villain in this context, is the one who takes care of him. He goes way beyond what's really necessary. First, he had compassion. First, he cared and had mercy on him. Like Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God is not short of giving out mercy. And as Christians, we shouldn't be short of giving out mercy. And this man gave compassion and mercy to that person. He didn't just do that. He bound up his wounds. We don't know what it was like. We don't know what this man was carrying. But he took time to make sure that he was healing before he's moving into the next place. Beyond that, he carried the man to his safety. He goes to an end and he spends whatever it takes. This man was generous and forgiving. We don't know. It could have been another Jew who needed help. But the Samaritan didn't care because he saw someone in need and fulfilled that need and had compassion. How many of us are willing to say that we would be that person to share compassion and be generous to someone? No, not all the time. It's going to be safe to, oh, look at that homeless person. Let me go up to them. Okay, that's not maybe the safest thing. But is there a level of compassion and mercy that you can show for them? Absolutely. Instead of saying, you know what, it's not my problem. It may not be our problem, but it is our response. We didn't cause that, and they have a whole different story to tell. But we can show generosity and compassion to someone who's suffering. Homeless people are not the only ones, but we always, maybe it's just me, have this, we have this judgmental attitude towards someone we see just on the street. I grew up in Oklahoma. I am a proud Oklahoman, and some of you are laughing. Yeah, boomer. Sooner. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. In a world of Texans that I live in, yeah, in a world of Texans, it is so hard to be merciful and compassionate. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the point, but it is. I grew up in Oklahoma, and when these storms, these ice storms swept across Oklahoma, Texas, and wherever else, I saw this article come up that there were several people in the Oklahoma City homeless community that died. And I love Oklahoma. I love Oklahoma City. It's not huge, right? But it's awesome. And I thought, these are people. These are not just random people. They're people that God created in his own image. And we, they didn't, we didn't do anything to help. There wasn't a Christian out there that helped them. They died because of frostbite. They died because of these extreme conditions. And it was very difficult for me to read this and think, what could somebody have done to to help, right? Even if it's to, to give some kind of resource. About a month later, there was an initiative made in Oklahoma City or whatever it was, but they built this homeless shelter where they could come at any point in the day. But it was intentionally kind of like a, like a big dorm room. That was a compassionate response to what Oklahoma City just saw. Now, I'm not saying that Oklahoma City is that great whoop, whoop, because they have their own problems, right? But the response to what they saw, they had compassion. They were generous. They forgave maybe themselves for not doing something to begin with. And they're like, you know what? It doesn't matter what condition you're in. We want to take care of you. We want to make sure that you're taken care of. That's what this man did. That's what the Samaritan person did and said, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of them, whatever, whatever it costs. Now, it's easy for me to say it from the stage. It's easy for you to hear it. And it's easy for us to be like, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. But how do I do it? How do I go beyond 
what I know or what I think and actually make a difference and a change. Regardless of what we think, here's the principle that I do want to share with you from, the, from chapter 7. In that idea, Christ followers should extend mercy to their neighbor. If we, when we read the rest of this parable, we're going to find out that when they ask about who the neighbor is, it's going to be anyone and everyone that you encounter. But I, our job as Christ followers is to extend mercy to their neighbor. And your neighbor is not going to look like you. In case you haven't realized, the rest of the world doesn't look like you. Your neighbor could be anybody. And sometimes we live in this context in this world where we think, oh, well, I can't show them compassion because they're a Democrat. I can't show them compassion because they're a Republican. They're watching Don Lemon. They're watching Tucker Carlson. I've watched all these networks. It's just like garbage. It's like, come on. As Christians, our response isn't to be red or blue. It's to be Jesus to the rest of the world. To be loving, compassionate, whatever our neighbor may look like. I work at a Chick-fil-A that, that is very, very different from a lot of Chick-fil-A's. And people will sometimes think that Chick-fil-A has this homophobic attitude. And if you think that's the case, come and work with me and find some of my directors and leaders. Because that is not the case. Because there was someone who said, you know what, regardless of who they are, they need a job. They need to be loved. They need to be around some kind of godly principles and presence that even if it doesn't change their life, they can at least know that Christians are generous, merciful, and compassionate. If you were to ask someone on the street what a Christian was like, they would tell you that it was like the priest or Levite. But we have an opportunity to change that today and go forward and say, you know what, when people see my life and when they see how I live, I realize it's not about me. It's about God. And God is asking me to serve others, be compassionate and generous to other people. We're going to finish out the last part of this um, uh, passage. But before we do that, we're going to find in chapter, in chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 5 of Matthew in verse 8, the rest of, the, of that beatitude, those two right there, are the two we're going to cover. You're like, man, Alex, you've been talking for a long time. we got 30 more minutes, baby. I'm just kidding. we got verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart exhibit a single-minded devotion to God that stems from an internal cleansing created by following Jesus. So because you follow Jesus, because you accept him as your Savior, he's not just your Savior, he's the Lord of your life, because of that, you have a single-minded devotion to God. Holiness is a prerequisite for entering God's presence. Holiness and a pure in heart is what we're looking for. It's saying like we have a moral standing and right with God. The pure in heart pass this test so they will see God and experience intimate fellowship with him. When Tim offered this prayer time, it was very interesting because it feels like there are moments when God moves and puts things together and says, we're going to make this an experience where people will get to experience my spirit flow within the room and in their hearts and lives. I feel like that was a moment. If you walk away from the bridge services or the first Baptist services and say, you know, I didn't get anything, that's on you and not on us. Well, maybe it's on us, right? I'm just kidding. But it is because we're not pure in heart because there's something that is holding us back from being able to give everything we are to God. Because we're not singly divided, devoted to God, we have a mind divided 
serving something else, indulging in something else, and then on the side, it's trying to love God. But here's what this says. If you have that pure in heart, you can experience intimate fellowship with him. Now, I'm not saying that every day you go home and you turn on your car and you're listening to, to Washed in the Blood and singing hymns in your car. No, that's awesome and that's great. But what I am saying is that when you do things out of your heart, your motives are clean and pure and driven by God and not your own. When Jesus says the merciful, right? He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We have the merciful, we have your response, what you do to show compassion, love to others. And when you get there and love them, don't do it double-mindedly. How many times have you done something for someone else and thought, oh, they're, they're going to pay me back later. I'm just doing this because I need a favor. Now, in some settings, right, that's necessary, right? If it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this because I need to build up some kind of trust with them or whatever so I can use it. Yeah, that's fine. But if you're serving people and you're saying, well, look at how great I am. Look at me. That's not pure in heart. That's not single-minded devotion to God. That's about you. That's about selfishness. And Christians are not called to be selfish. In Luke 10, verse 35, is we're going to finish out this last, these last few thoughts. And here's where it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 35. And the next day he took two denarii. We already read this, but we're going to go over it one more time. And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now within the parable, we don't really know if, this, if the, the Samaritan had a, a different motive. My guess is that he didn't because he spent whatever it took to make sure that person was taken care of. He single-mindedly said, you know what? I'm going to do this without being repaid. And even if it costs more, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to serve and love that person even though they might not serve and love me. I'm going to show them mercy even though I may not get it back. What Jesus is asking us to do is that when you show mercy and compassion, that you serve without expecting and love without return. And that is way harder than we actually, I can say it all day long, we can think it in our minds, but you sometimes and I sometimes will go out and say, I'm going to love you, but I expect something in return. I'm going to serve, but I expect to be rewarded. At Chick-fil-A, we will go the second mile. You know how many times I'm rewarded for going the second mile by someone who thinks that they just, they just deserve it? Not very often. And that's a small part of my world. That's a small, and you know, I think, well, Chick-fil-A is your job. Yes, it is my job. But in an, not a job setting, if we go beyond that, so I'm going to go the second mile for you. I'm going to love you more than I really should. I'm going to forgive you beyond this. I'm going to serve without expecting something back. I'm going to serve at the bridge and ask how I can help without expecting Tim to give me a, a gift card. And some of you might think, well, I, I don't like a gift card. Chili says, you know, three for 10 deal. Some of us need to hear this, not just from me, but from the word of God that says, hey, you got to change something. You want to be happy? You want to find that fulfillment? You want to find what you're looking for? Be merciful. You want to be happy? 
Have your mind bent to God and not to something else. Have it bent towards loving your neighbor and not judging them. You want to be happy? Love without return. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. He loves you without expecting you to love him back. And oftentimes, he shows you so much love and you could care less. So I don't care. I'm going to live my life. YOLO. Jesus wants us to live like this, not because we're going to gain something, but because we're expected to, to live like Jesus. Here's the last verse of this passage. Luke 10, 36. Jesus finishes his parable And he says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He asks this question, just kind of throws it out there. Who was was the neighbor? And to the Jews in this context, the neighbor is going to be another Jew. They didn't think of anybody else. They're like, well, the neighbor is going to be someone there. But here's the response. In the last verse of this, when Jesus asked, he says, he said, and we're talking about the lawyer at the very beginning of this. He said, the one who showed him mercy. He answered right, that the one who was the neighbor, the one who went out of his way to love and care for was that person who showed mercy. Notice that the lawyer who is is the um, person asking this question, he doesn't say the Samaritan. He doesn't call him by name. He says, the one, that person who showed him mercy. Is that you? Do you live a life that shows mercy and compassion to somebody else, or are you just full of judgment? If you were to ask the world, like I talked about just a little bit ago, if you ask the world, they would say Christians are full of judgment. And for others, they would say, well, yeah, Christians, they love people. But what if they asked about you? When people say, oh, yeah, you know, Alex, oh, yeah, Alex is a jerk. That's what Josiah thinks. That's maybe what people I work with think. But really, all jokes aside, if they said, what is this person like? And they can't say, oh, they're kind, they're friendly, and they use Christian in a bad context. We fell short of showing Jesus the rest of the world. Jesus says, after he responds, he said, the one who showed mercy, and this is what Jesus says to wrap it all up. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Go and show mercy and show compassion and expect nothing in return. Don't do it because you want something else. Do it because you love God. It's not about you. It's about God. Do you matter? Absolutely. You matter to God. You matter to what, you know, what we're doing as a church. You matter. But if you think that you're number one, and God is somewhere in the back, and so are others, it's backwards. Jesus, others, yourself. For some of us, this is, this is hard to be like, yeah, I want to be happy, but Alex is telling me that, you know, well, I'm not telling you. Jesus is saying, you want to be happy? Be merciful. You want to be happy? Be pure in heart. You want to be happy? Here it is. We all want to be happy. But now it's up to you to respond to it. How do you take what Jesus says and apply it to your own life? You could be pure in heart. You could do all these things, but that's on you. I could tell you, I can, I can lead you 
to the water, but I can't force you to drink. Called you a horse. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and wrap up. But here's what I would like as we, as we close out the rest of the night. Your response to what Jesus has said is all up to you. Do you decide to leave here and show mercy to the world and to the people that have hurt you and be pure in it? Or do you go just as you came and nothing changed? That's on you. But I'm going to pray. And as we jump into this last song, what I would encourage you to do is to respond either by sitting in your chair, by singing, by finding someone and say, hey, will you pray with me? That's up to you. But use this time intentionally to say, God, I need you. You've been merciful to me. I need to be merciful to others. Bye.